What is Decision Tech by Fidelity? It's technology that can help you find a stock based on what's trending or an investing goal. It's real-time insights and information delivered in your own customized view of the market. It's smarter trading technology for smarter trading decisions. And it's only from Fidelity. Open an account today at fidelity.com trading. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to make you some money. My job's not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me, 1-800-743-CBC, or tweet me. At Jim Kramer. You want to know what resilience looks like? Okay, so we get this labor report this morning at 8.30. Show the U.S. created just 20,000 jobs in the month of February. Economists were forecasting 170,000. And what happens? Stock market shrugs it off like, like nothing happened. In fact, instead of joining the global route, we stabilized and we rebounded from the lows throughout the session in the morning. Dow was off 221 points. It closed down just 23 points. S&P dipped 0.21%. The Nasdaq declined just 0.18% despite those numbers. That's much better than we had any right to expect. So you got to ask yourself, how is that possible? Simple. I think on some level there's an understanding that this hiring data is just not representative. The numbers were severely distorted by both the government shutdown and the terrible weather. What makes me say that? When it comes to the government shutdown, that's pure supposition on my part. But the weather? That's something I heard on Costco's spectacular conference call from last night. Here's a company that just reported an off-the-charts amazing quarter. Much, much better than expected. Stock warrant $11 higher. And Costco made it clear that if it weren't for that miserable weather across the entire country in February, their numbers would have been even better. When a company that reports a blowout quarter and still blames the weather for hurting its results, you know what I say? That ain't no lame alibi. That's the real deal weather. And I've got to tell you, I trust the numbers from a great retailer like Costco more than I trust the numbers from the Labor Department. That's not just because I love Costco. I think it's a great store. The Labor Department's also got a pretty lame track record when it comes to processing this payroll data. You know what they ought to do? They should just outsource it to ADP, the largest payroll processor in America. Hey, those guys know what to do. At the end of the day, though, most investors realized that the 20,000 jobs figure wasn't very meaningful. So we didn't get this kind of sell-off that you would have normally expect on that kind of number. Plus, it didn't hurt that we finally reached oversold levels on that Standard Poor's oscillator that I always uh, tell you about, the one I follow. You know, it's the first time we've been oversold since the whole rally took off. So we know that there's a lot of doom and gloom around the world. This morning, we spoke to Larry Kudlow, the president's chief economic advisor and my old partner, on Cudlow and Kramer for years here on CBC, and he clarified that there may not be a trade deal with China in the offing if the Chinese don't make substantial concessions. And with our economy very strong versus their weakening economy, we might have a better hand. Throw in the growing weakness in the European economy and last the looming Brexit issue, which will be front and center over the next few weeks. And I don't blame a soul for being nervous. I mean, it is a nerve-wracking time. But that's why we've been going down. My take, I think the American consumer is doing darn well. Look at the results we've now had from Costco, from Amazon, from Target, from Walmart. Meanwhile, our corporations keep spending, and not just on buybacks, on technology. Remember, they're all digitizing. That's both healthy. So then what's the problem here? Why did we stop going up? The problem is governments around the world. They keep failing their constituents. They're failing Main Street, not Wall Street. 
which is doing just fine. And their ineptitude has become the biggest single headwind that butts against everything else that's working in the corporate world. With that cheerful thought in mind, let's go to next week's game plan. On Monday, we hear from a little company I'm actually kind of focused on. It's called Stitch Fix, which is part of the ultra-new economy, an online subscription-based personal shopping platform. Last quarter, the company reported suboptimal numbers, and it caused a lot of the digital subscription stocks to get slammed, of course, with, along with Stitch Fix itself. Stitch Fix has been trading higher of late. Maybe they've returned to hyper-growth mode. We'll see. It could have an impact. On Tuesday, an incredibly important analyst meeting begins in Shanghai, Yum China's Analyst Day. Remember, that's separate from Yum. They split off. I think we'll get some real color on the state of the Chinese economy by gauging their level of spending on relative luxury items like KFC, which is a classy establishment where people get married in the People's Republic. It's that, it, it's that big a deal to go there. The issue with all things related to China is that to some extent, bad is good and vice versa. The weaker the Chinese economy gets, the more likely they are going to make a trade deal with President Trump that President Trump will like. So I'm going to take any data I can anywhere, and Yum China will give us some good data. Hey, all this, you also listen to see if Pizza turns around and the stock's going to fly. We also hear from Dick's Sporting Goods, and while I don't want you to buy that stock because there's too much company-related risk, I do expect to hear great things about the stock of Nike. Buy, 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 buy. Which means you can buy the sneaker stock if we get any kind of pullback related to market weakness today. So if you come in and we got that big global fear going, you go and you buy some Nike ahead of the Dick's analyst meeting. Be a terrific opportunity because I bet Dick's management's got great things to say about Nike's footwear and probably more importantly their apparel. On top of that, we get the consumer price index on Tuesday. Uh, Well, here, I think it's going to be very low. Very, very low. When people see this number in the producer price index on Wednesday and we combine that with the ugly employment number we got today, I suspect will people start to question what the heck the Fed was doing raising interest rates in December. I say Fed Chief Jay Powell has basically gotten what he wants when he talked about needing to slow the economy back in October. He won. So he's not going to be a problem for the bulls going forward. That's another reason, by the way, by the way why we bounced today. Wednesday, aside from the PPI, we get results from Cloudera. That's a smallish cloud company with a very big task. Tell us why we should still believe in a formerly red-hot group that's become one of the weakest segments of the entire market, the Cloud Kings. Cloudera just closed on its acquisition of Hortonworks. That was a competitor. And as I said to a caller the other day, I'm betting we are going to get terrific results from Cloudera. I genuinely believe that this little company could put a floor under the group. Yes, Cloudera could be that meaningful and that positive. Or at least I hope so. Because on Thursday, after the close, we hear from one of the most important cloud stocks, if not all technology stocks, which is Adobe Systems. I think it's going to be a blowout. But listen, if Cloudera delivers a great number on Wednesday, okay, and then sells off anyway on Thursday, then I fear we'll continue to be plagued by the same negative pattern that's distorted so much of tech since Workday reported a great quarter last week. And then saw its stock get annihilated the next day. I desperately want to tell you to buy Adobe ahead of the quarter, but that negative pattern needs to be broken before I can give you my blessing. So if Cloudera reports a great number, I think it does, okay? And then what we do is we get a no sell-off on Thursday, but an actual rally, then you can go buy this, uh, maybe do call options on Adobe before it reports after the close. Now, I truly like the stock of Broadcom, which also reports Thursday. Hock Tan, that super acquisitive CEO, just finished buying CA. It's a software company. He's a hardware guy. Yet, I'm expecting huge numbers. And I think he's done his patented streamlining of a new business, stripping of its most profitable core and, yes, firing people. 
I want to hear how much stock he repurchased this quarter, too. I bet he bought a ton because Broadcom's been a horse. I think he's underneath all the time. So you get him buying underneath and you get a good quarter from the combined company. Stock could go higher. What else? Ulta Beauty's been a strong performer of late. And I think we'll continue when we get Ulta's results after the close. Estee Lauder is a big supplier. And I love the bullish presentation that uh, Fabrizio Freda, the CEO of Estee Lauder, gave yesterday. My view, the look-yourselfie best economy remains a major tailwind for Ulta. And the stock has much more upside. Be interesting to see what she says about the quarter. Won't it? Finally, on Friday... We get the University of Michigan sentiment numbers, as well as industrial production figures. These two could be integral to putting t- uh, today's tep and employment figures to bed by offering us a positive spin on a real bummer of a number. I think confidence did take a bit of a hit because of all that nonsense in Washington. Remember, the government's their problem, but the industrial production number, I think, will be just fine. Bottom line, we could have had a disastrous today. Disastrous day. Instead, we had a disastrous week. The worst of the year. Kept by a so-so session that could have been much worse and finished so strong. Can we call it a victory for the Bulls? <laughs> Believe it or not, yes! Because a rebound like today is absolutely something to celebrate. Now, as we go to calls, I want to acknowledge International Women's Day and celebrate two of the things I am most proud of on Man Money, that 80% of our show's team, 80% are women. And that we have so many amazing women investors as viewers. So to honor the day, I've got a killer lineup of all female callers so that you can see who is really behind our show. And let's start it out. Regina Gilgan, our fabulous executive producer, by talking to Emily in Arkansas. Emily. Well. I have held shares of Six Flags since 2014 for the growth in dividends, and I plan to keep it as a core holding in my portfolio. With the delayed outlook for the China expansion and now the news that the CEO will retire by early next year, I'm nervous with the price testing its 52-week low. Will I have time to collect my dividends until things turn around as opposed to selling low? But I'm not sure what the right call is. You know, Emily, I'm not either. Uh, I was disappointed by how the stock acted when they held off. You know, they didn't. They had an okay quarter, but the forecast wasn't that good when it came to China. Yield six and a half. Uh, They're in the penalty box. I would not sell it down here. But uh, that was uh, it was surprising. And I have to tell you, very suboptimal. Can I go to Polina in my home state in New Jersey? Polina. Hey, Jim. Big warm booyah from the Garden State. Thanks for taking my call. Oh, of course. I love the Garden State. What's going on? I'm calling today in regards to the highly speculative stock of CRISPR Therapeutics. You got symbol CRSP. Ever since Tuesday's announcement of the resignation of FDA chief Scott Goldleaf, CRISPR, along with the other biotechs, have been taking quite a beating, and it's been rough for those of us who didn't jump ship. I'd also like to note that the president of CRISPR Therapeutics sold 85,000 shares on Monday, a day before the resignation of the FDA chief. It's uh. been making me question my own um, investment in the company. If the man who's supposed to be so bullish on it is jumping ship, why shouldn't I be jumping ship? Well. Uh, remember, you know, the Fed chief, Godley, the FDA chief, Godley, has been done a remarkable job in two years. Uh, I don't I, I have to tell you that their most recent drugs look really good. Uh, I, the insider selling is daunting. 
But I understand it does seem like a split decision because if they were, let's say, in takeover talks, like a lot of people feel all these are, he wouldn't have been selling. So I, 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 um, I think your skepticism is warranted. How about we do that? Thank you to all the women who work with me on Mad Money and all of our female viewers. All right, we did dodge a bullet today, people. The market could have been a heck of a lot uglier. So chalk this one up as a victory for the bulls. Oh, man, tonight, home sweet home. Some housing stocks are still in shaky ground. Is it time to relocate or make your move into the space? I'm eyeing the home builders. Then Planet Fitness was able to muscle up on a strong quarter. But Weight Watchers, holy cow, it sank. Which company is fit for your portfolio? I'm going to give you my take. And I want a portfolio to be free of squeaks? I'm eyeing WD-40 to see if it can help in this market. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. What is Decision Tech by Fidelity? It's technology that can help you find a stock based on what's trending or an investing goal. It's real-time insights and information delivered in your own customized view of the market. It's smarter trading technology for smarter trading decisions. And it's only from Fidelity. Open an account today at fidelity.com trading. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. After today's miserable jobs report, we need to talk about one of the most economically sensitive sectors in the entire stock market. That's the home builders. This is a key industry that we like to say punches well above its weight in the broader economy. Now, at the beginning of last year, as the rest of the market kept climbing higher, the housing stocks started plummeting to earth. The whole group just kept getting clobbered. And once everything turned bearish in the fourth quarter, the builders got slammed to new multi-year lows. However, in early January, when Fed Chief Jay Powell finally backed away from his insistence on a series of rate hikes, giving the economy some breathing room, for heaven's sake, the home builders started to rebound, in part because they were no longer fighting the Fed, in part because they never should have gone down so much in the first place. While they've pared back some of the gains this week, this week you know, the cohort is still up for the year. So should you view the strength this, this year so far as an opportunity to sell in an ailing group? Sell, 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 sell. Or have the home builders actually truly bottomed? Meaning any pullback like we're having right now could be smart to buy. Buy, buy, buy! Well, this morning we got some diverging opinions on the industry with one brokerage firm publishing a pretty negative note about the group and another research firm arguing that the home builders, well, they've got more room to run. Yep, it's a good old-fashioned analyst gunfight, a showdown. Uh, and therefore, a terrific way to get a sense of the best arguments from both the bulls and the bears so you can form your own opinion. And remember, we're trying to enlighten you about how to think, how to at least think about stocks. You don't need me for the rest of the stuff. On the one hand, a team of analysts at J.P. Morgan, a good team led by Michael Rahab, uh, downgraded a bunch of home builders today. They even took Toll Brothers, one of my favorites. Well, as a home builder, I haven't liked this stock. You know I've been negative in the group. But he took it down. He took it down to a cell. A sell, 
arguing that it's time to take profits in a group of stocks that have already run too much. On the other hand, Zellman and Associates, Z-E-L-M-A-N, a boutique research firm led by the brilliant Ivy Zellman, published what felt like a direct rebuttal. In a note entitled, Let It Ride with the Builders, Zellman and her team went positive on the home builders. At least, now, actually, they had been positive for about a month, but since then, they've become even more bullish to the point where just today, they upgraded Horton, uh, Century Communities, and the aforementioned downgraded to sell at J.P. Morgan Toll Brothers. Wow, one person raises, the other person sends it down, so who's right? Okay, before we get into both sides of the argument, you need to understand where the housing stocks are, where are they coming from? After sprinting higher in 2017, look, they were part of a broader move, spurred by a fantastic economy with hardly any inflation and great employment numbers, the home builders rolled over uh, last year. All told, the S&P Home Builders ETF, the HXB, after that great year in 2017, plunged 26% in 2018. Why? Well, because the industry hit a series of speed bumps that ultimately caused the housing market to screech to a halt last year. Terrible. First, long-term interest rates spiked pretty dramatically. That's the worst thing for home builders. Uh, and, and meaning that mortgage rates got a heck of a lot more expensive. And when mortgage rates go higher, obviously fewer people are going to want to buy homes. The yield on the 10-year Treasury spent most of last year around 3% or higher. and didn't come back down until the fourth quarter bear market. Now, though, the 10 years back to 2.63. Amazing, isn't it? Second, raw costs. By the middle of last year, the home builders were afflicted by higher costs for everything from steel to lumber, in part because of President Trump's tariffs, including the 25% duty on Chinese steel and a less well-known 20% tariff on Canadian wood, which really decked these guys. Third, affordability. After years of price increases, especially in the hottest markets, buying a new home is out of reach for many consumers, hence why we have so many renters, especially millennials, who are weighed down by student loan debt, and they just stay with their moms and dads. But the biggest problem by far emerged in the second half of the year, and that was demand. In early October, Stuart Miller, the chairman of Lenar, and the dean of the group talked about a natural pause. Boy, did that stock get hurt when he said those natural pause in the housing market. He went on to add that the pause would be temporary. But at the time, the whole market stock market was plummeting, and everyone was eager to believe the worst, and not without good reason. There were whole swaths of the country where the housing market just seemed to freeze over. Plus, during the fourth quarter, the U.S. household wealth fell by $3.8 trillion, which is the kind of thing that puts a damper on buying a home, right? Even if most of these losses had already been made back, that's not the way people think. The question is, can the housing market start to thaw now that the Federal Reserve is your friend rather than your foe. Remember, I keep saying you're no longer fighting the Fed. Well, uh, that's what the recent run in the stocks would suggest. But the analysts at J.P. Morgan argued that you should use the strength in the home builders that we just had from there to take profits or at least minimize your losses. Their thesis, let me read you the key part. We remain cautious on the sector based on our outlook for fundamentals to remain less robust than last year, end quote. The note continues, quote, Recent housing industry metrics pose a challenge to our most recent 2019 forecast for housing starts. In our view, while, while on a builder level, we expect orders and sales pace to remain down year over year on average through the first half. In short, J.P. Morgan points out that the housing market has been real ugly for the last few months, and they expect this week just to continue, weighing down most of the industry. The idea that the home builders could turn on a dime seems fanciful to these guys. They want you out of the stocks and think that this balance has given you a great chance to take profits. So then what about the Zellman Associates with their call to let your housing gains ride? Well, Zellman paints a very different picture. 
our channel checks have continued to real, reveal positive momentum in order activity through early March. Wow, isn't that something? Which is the first sign they've seen in over a year that would suggest that there might be some potential upside to their earnings estimates. Now, Zellman acknowledged that the industry is in a rough place. She knows 2019 will be a down year for the home builders, but she thinks that their stocks now reflect too much negativity. It's worth pointing out that Zellman's estimates were substantially lower than Wall Street's back in December, but now the other firms have all cut their numbers. In other words, a few months ago, there were still holdouts who believed housing would do just fine, not Zellman. By this point, though, everyone's finally on the same page. And if anything, Zellman believes the stocks have overcorrected to the downside. Basically, she thinks the estimates are now low enough to be beatable. That's what we want, guys, the lowered bar. Just as important, Zellman also notes that the housing space is, in fact, improving here. February was better than January. Interesting, right? Because February's supposed to be a pretty tough month in the employment sector. Hey, get this. The horrible month of December is rearview mirror. If the trend keeps improving, then the homebuilders like Lenar, D.R. Horton, and Toll Brothers, she says, will be able to report better than feared numbers, in other words, better than expected, and their stocks will therefore go higher. So who do you believe? You know what? That's easy. You believe Ivy Zellman. Why? Because she's what we call the axe in the home builders. That means the analyst who understands this group better than anyone else on Wall Street controls a lot of the, a lot of the thinking about it, and she has for decades. Her entire firm is focused, focused on housing and related areas. That's it. That's what she does. She knows this business like the back of her hand. So when she makes a contrarian call like this one, you better believe I listen. I listen. Good. You know what? I also learned to listen to her when I was a hedge fund manager. She was my go-to for the group. I never went against her view. By the way, not only does Zellman Associates publish institutional research like this morning upgrade, they got this really good, excellent, really good bi-weekly retail investor-oriented product. It's called the Z-Report, which you see by going to www.zellmanassociates.com. Uh, and if that's if you want to dig deeper into the industry that I just gave you. And I don't blame you because I've been using her stuff. And man, is she hot. Just great stuff. The firm is really good. They got a lot of good analysts. Bottom line, we've been negative on the home builders for ages. But now I believe, after reading Zellman's stuff today, that the group has finally gotten too cheap. And these stocks finally have a champion worthy of following. I think J.P. Morgan's bearish call is too focused on the rearview mirror, where I.V. Zellman's positive piece is focused on the future. Remember, stocks tend to bottom before the actual underlying fundamentals. And if you wait too long, you end up missing the move. The axe, Zellman, thinks ahead, which means even I, a big home builder skeptic, am getting on board. All right, much more man money ahead. It's an age-old, it's an age-old debate. Does exercise beat dieting? In this market, there might be a clear answer. I'm, I'm pitting Planet Fitness against Weight Watchers. Then, it's a company that has 65% of its sales outside the U.S., so how is it handling the trade tensions in the market? I'm going to talk with the CEO. And remember my pick six? I'll tell you why they held the key to today's moves, and you could have seen a bottom coming. Stay with Kramer. Whenever the market turns hostile, I like to circle the wagons around secular growth stocks Stocks that don't need a super strong economy to work because they're powered by ultra-consistent long-term trends. For example, self-improvement, which you know I like very much. At the beginning of every year, millions of Americans resolve to lose weight, get in shape, generally live better. What could be more reliable than New Year's resolutions, right? Especially in this image-obsessed culture where everyone's constantly taking selfies, posting them on the Internet. I'm not saying it's healthy. It's just a fact. These days, people are under a lot of pressure to look good. 
So you might think that the diet and exercise stocks would be incredible winners here. But in reality, it's a lot more complicated than that. There's some nuance. Last week, we got a stunning tale of two self-improvement companies, as in it was the best of quarters, and it was the worst of quarters. Crater Fame, Planet Fitness, a fast-growing chain of low-cost gyms that prides itself on being a judgment-free zone, reported some phenomenal results, and its already red-hot stock continued to roll higher. Yet at the exact same time, WW Inc., the company formerly known as Weight Watchers delivered an ugly quarter with truly abysmal guidance. These numbers were horrific, and it's already battered stock melted down, plunging from $29 to $19 in a single session. How the heck is that even possible? You'd think a chain of fitness centers and a weight loss slash wellness brand would be levered to the same trends, right? For years, Planet Fitness and Weight Watchers saw their stocks climb inexorably higher as both companies consistently reported great numbers. However, in the last nine months, Weight Watchers, now WW, has experienced a spectacular breakdown, while Planet Fitness simply keeps chugging higher. Perhaps the ultimate proof that diet is not more important than exercise. So what's going on here? I think you got two parallel stories. Planet Fitness is an extremely well-run company with a fabulous brand, and they know exactly what they're doing. While the, <laughs> gotta tell you, the WW people, they seem dazed and confused. Planet Fitness is sort of the anti-gym. They're trying to attract casual customers. So they've adopted a no-judgments ethos, creating a low-pressure environment where people can exercise. You, know, you go to some of those really fancy gyms, and you feel like, well, holy cow, I'm a 90-pound weekly. No, a 200-pound weekly. The concept works, and the company's been putting up a new franchise after franchise after franchise at a rapid clip, and people really want to own them. I've got some wealthy friends, admittedly, who own them, and they make a lot of money. Now, we've had CEO Chris Rondo on the show multiple times. This guy's a just He's money. Starting in August of 2017, when the stock was at 25 bucks, since then it's giving you a monster 153% gain. Don't you have to watch these CEOs when they come on? Yes, because Planet Fitness keeps putting up strong quarter after strong quarter. What about the company formerly known as Weight Watchers, where the CEO has not been on that money? For years, the company now known as WW seemed to have a tried and true business model. They were a lifestyle company that helped people change their behavior in order to lose weight and then keep it off, both with their own food products and their support groups. Then the smartphone revolution came along, and Weight Watchers started losing share to all those sort of uh, app-based competitors. In 2011, the stock traded in the 80s. By the summer of 2015, it had fallen below $5. Over the next three years, Weight Watchers executed one of the most magnificent turnarounds I've ever seen. The company announced a wide-ranging partnership with Oprah, who purchased a 10% stake in the enterprise, joined its board of directors, and became the face of the business. Oh, and that news broke. The stock more than doubled in a single day. And the darn thing kept going higher. Within months, Weight Watchers had launched a new holistic lifestyle and fitness program called Beyond the Scale, helping them capture more than just weight loss business. When Mindy Grossman took over as the new CEO in 2017, she invested in improving the technology and expanding these new health and wellness offerings. Weight Watchers saw an explosion of new subscribers, something that accelerated when DJ Khaled signed on as an endorser. Wow, get this. Apparently, he lost 43 pounds using the WW Freestyle program, although, to be totally transparent, we haven't been able to independently verify that. But when I met him on the set of Squawk on the Street, he was felt. That's how Weight Watchers rallied to 105 at its, new, at its highest last summer. But then they hit some turbulence. The first sign of the trouble what was on August 9th. When we learned that Artal, A-R-T-A-L, Luxembourg, 
that's a private equity firm, that took Weight Watchers public in 2011, would be cutting its stake in the company by 30%. They still own 22% of the business. But in retrospect, this was a big deal. And you know what it also was? It was a massive red flag. These guys stuck with Weight Watchers for 20 years, and suddenly they decided to ring the register? I say it raises eyebrows. Now, I think we know why. In September, Weight Watchers rebranded itself as WW Inc., part of their broader effort to focus less on weight loss and more on wellness. Maybe they didn't want to be accused of fat-shaming their customers. So how's that working out? Well, in November, the new WW reported a significant revenue shortfall. The culprit? Their subscriber base shrank from $4.5 million to $4.2 million in just three months. Basically, the company's having trouble hanging on to all those new customers brought in by Oprah. Uh, in response, the stock lost nearly 30% of its value in a single day. WW continued to melt down in December, along with the rest of the market, but it failed to bounce when 2019 came around. In fact, the stock is now down almost 50% since 2019 began. At first, the analyst turned on WW, fretting about a weak start to the year in subscriber losses. Then last week, the company confirmed all of our worst fears when it reported one of the ugliest conference calls I've ever been on. WW delivered a earnings miss. It posted yet another revenue shortfall, and the company lost another 300,000 subscribers versus the previous quarter. Worst of all, WW gave us a horrifying full-year forecast. Wall Street expected them to earn $3.43 per share. Get this. Management talked about earning a dollar and a quarter to a dollar fifty. Not even half. It was stunning. Because the beginning of the year is so crucial to WW's business, a bad start means a bad year. So long, so long to 2019. Stock plunged another 35% last Wednesday. No wonder. In retrospect, it looks like WW got a temporary boost in subscriber base early last year thanks to its celebrity endorsements. But now they're losing those people and the numbers are getting crushed. Now, I want you to compare that to Planet Fitness, which has consistently put up excellent numbers without trying to change its winning formula. How well has this company been doing? Let me put it this way. During the huge fourth quarter sell-off, when almost every stock went down, this stock managed to, uh, to rally. And it's up another 19% year-to-date. The very same night WW imploded, Planet Fitness delivered another top and bottom line beat with management giving us an encouraging full-year forecast. They're talking about 15% revenue growth, system-wide, same-store sales in the high single digits. There's not a lot of retailers with that number. And 25% earnings growth in response to the stock has rallied day after day, actually rallied for eight straight days, from uh, $56 and change to $64, uh, $64 before pulling back oh so slightly today. And again, that's in this not-so-great market again. How do we explain this disparity? The thing that sticks with me here is that Planet Fitness seems to have a better sense of its own identity. Its vibe has stayed the same from the very beginning. This is a fun gym that doesn't treat fitness like a religion. It's a place where you can exercise and eat pizza. I'm not being hyperbolic. Eat pizza at the same time. WW, on the other hand, feels like it's having an identity crisis. The Weight Watchers brand may have been, become uh, kind of pro- problematic, as the kids say, but at least you know what Weight Watchers was for. People pay $3 to $13 per month for help losing weight. But for wellness advice, maybe that's a tougher sell. The bottom line, sometimes you just need to stick with what's working and avoid what's falling apart. That's why Planet Fitness, even after this run, is still very much a buy. And I think WW is way too risky for me to recommend. Mark in Florida. Mark. Hi, Jim. How are you today? I am good, Mark. How about you? Fantastic. I've been hearing a lot of regulatory noise in the managed care space. Noteworthy declines all week in the stock prices of companies in the space. 
Now, I have a large position in Cigna. My question for you is, should I sell what I have? Should I hold on, or should I buy more at these lower prices? I don't want you to double down because I've had to deal with the incredibly intense and horrendous pressure that is CVS, where I genuinely believe that uh, that they have to take away my shoelaces and my necktie. So I'm not going to suggest that you buy more Cigna. I am going to suggest that you hold on to Cigna, which has done a round trip from where it was going to be bought and is being bought down 14 percent. I don't want you to sell that stock. It's too low. All right, I love Oprah as much as the next guy or anybody, you know what I mean? But I have trouble recommending WW right now. It's too risky even after this decline. But Planet Fitness, well, that's still our buy, 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 buy! Much more mad money, and a can of WD-40 can do just about anything, anything that you can possibly want. Uh, remove all uh, oil from hands, fix a squeaky hinge, remove stains, save my marriage. I'm talking with the CEO. Then, the six stocks that gave the averages a six cents today it turned out to be pretty prescient. The lawyer calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stick with Kramer. You know what's great? A company you could actually understand. Sometimes the simplest stories are the best ones. Take WD-40, you know, the canned lubricant that helps people do everything from fixing cars to silencing squeaky hinges to aircraft maintenance. You probably got some in your house. Did you know that WD-40 is a publicly traded company? Yep, it trades under the symbol WDFC, and it's been a phenomenal long-term performer, up more than 130% over the past five years, trouncing the S&P 500 up 46% over the same period. WD-40 has been taking share and taking names, rolling out all sorts of related lubricant products using different delivery methods. But for Gary Ridge, the CEO of WD-40, the company's success is less about the products and more about how they run their business. He's a major evangelist for employee engagement. The idea that companies succeeded by tr- they succeed by treating their workers well getting them on board so that everybody's pulling the same direction. You know what, that's an intriguing idea in a day when such cynicism drives me crazy. So let's take a closer look with Gary Rich. He's the president and CEO of WD-40. Learn more about his company, the corporate culture, and how it's produced some terrific results. Mr. Rich, welcome to Man Money. First time. Good to see you, sir. Thank have you. a seat. Nice to be here. Okay, so I have to tell you, I have a squeaky door before I knew you were being booked. Okay, Squeaky door on Monday, and it's waking up my wife every day. I get up very early. And so she came down for dinner when I got back, I said, will you just give me the WD-40? I did not say give me lubricant because I don't know anybody. Do you have any competitors? Well, Jim, I've spent my life making sure you don't know the name of competitors, <laughs> so I'm certainly not going to tell you on. But, you know, it is generic. It is a, this is what you never say, give me something squeaky. So, look, in my old days, so it was three and one. We own that as which well. Which you own, too. But this is what people say. Yeah. How did it happen, and what is WD-40? Well, it started in San Diego, 1953. There was a problem with condensation and corrosion in the umbilical cord of the Atlas space rocket. We were called Rocket Chemical Company back then. And our chemists got together and they started to mix up some stuff. And uh, 39 times they tried and the 40th one worked. And that's why it's called WD, Water (laughs) Displacement 40th Formula. (laughs) Okay. And today we're in 176 countries around the world. Now, I would not believe that you even need to innovate because everybody I know uses you, but you don't stop. No. You know, um, we, we know there's lots of squeaks around the world, but what we want to do is create products that really create positive, lasting memories. If you ask me what business we're in, we're in the memories business. We, we create positive, lasting memories by solving problems in factories, homes and workshops of the world. So we innovate both by product, but also by delivery systems. And one of the exciting things we're sharing with you today is back in 2005, we 
got rid of that problem, which was how do I not lose the blah, 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 little red straw? We then developed a product called Smart Straw, and we're about to uh, launch next year a new version of Smart Straw, which is toolbox friendly, as we call it. It's actually lockable. It's got a new organic, ergonomic delivery system, and our end users just love it. Now, you talked about a memory score. I like this because I know you're very purpose-driven and you've been able to instill in your workforce a similar idea. That sounds like the kind of thing that everybody would get behind. Jim, imagine a place where you go to work every day, you make a contribution to something bigger than yourself, you learn something new, you feel safe, and the values of the organization send you home happy. That's what we want to do. You know, I think it's a sin that 65% of people who go to work every day don't like their job. And, you know, we're pretty slow learners. Aristotle said in 384 BC, pleasure in the job puts perfection in the work. And it's the leadership that has to do that. So we go to work every day creating an environment, and we have a 93% employee engagement. 99% of our tribe members globally say they love to tell people they work at the company. I thought that was really cool. The culture, uh, the power of our people, when you have results, average of all questions, I love to tell people, and I thought this was the most important. I love to tell people that I work for WD-40. 99% like to say that. Yeah. That's fantastic. Okay, so 99% means that, that women have to say it too, and it's, nat- uh, you know, it's International Women's Day. So what do you have to say for yourself on that issue? Well, the chairman of our board is a female, okay. Linda Lane. Uh, the head of our operation in the U.S. is a lady. Our head of marketing in the U.S. is a lady. Um, w- really exciting. Just this week, our first employee in our China operation 12 years ago was a lady. She's worked her way through the organization, and yesterday she was promoted to the general manager of China. So we love diversity, whether it be by gender, by geography. You know, we love having a mix of people in our organization that help us be better, because as a leader, I'm consciously incompetent. You know, I worked out a long time ago that micromanagement wasn't scalable. Now, you also have been a proselytizer to the point of even writing a book, trying to get people to understand your methods, which I think makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I I wrote a book with Ken Blanchard, the one-minute manager. I was on his board for 10 years, and it's really about, you know, our job every day is we're, we're coaches, and what we need to do is not mark people's papers but help them get A's. Life is about helping people get A's. Purpose-driven, and yet purpose-driven is proof, you know, that this is the 10th anniversary of the bottom. $24 to 175 So that mean, I think that shows you that a culture that is purpose-driven, that has higher values, certainly produces also a higher price earnings bundle and better numbers. Well, we get $850,000 worth of revenue per employee. Where's that stack up against others, if I had to look at that? Um, it's about double what some of them that I've heard. Okay. Um, and, you know, the important thing to us, too, is this, to create this environment where people can be magnificent on a daily basis. And, you know, our stock price is our stock price, but it's because we have amazing return on invested capital. Um, we're an asset-light company. We're investing in innovation like our Easy Reach. This product here is, is again, a product that we developed to help our prime end users, which are artisans and tradesmen, get the job done and get it done in an easy way. Um, we've developed other products like our new, you should have had this for your wife. This is our new spray I'm, oh, gel. Oh, I'm taking it home, believe me. This is our She's spray really gel. She's really mad at me because of something my daughter did. <laughs> this could help me. Spray but gel. This is a spray gel. This is WD-40 in a gel form. So you spray it on the hinge and it doesn't drip. Thank you for saving my marriage. You're welcome. That is Gary Rich. He's president and CEO of WD-40 Company. Look in your drawer. Look in your cabinet. Look in your pantry. It's there. How about the stock? Mad Money's back into the break. 
It is time! And then the light rounds are, are you ready? Ski dance over the light round! Comes over with Rod in Oklahoma. Rod! Watch your hunch on Starwood property. I like that. I like the yield. I like Barry. I think it's a great one. Let's go to Lloyd in South Carolina. Lloyd! Uh, Suncor, ticker SU. Thank you very much. Uh, you're quite welcome, but we are not going to recommend any House of Pain stocks anymore, and that's in that Atlanta oil business. Let's go to Sal in Texas. Sal. Booyah, Jim. How you doing today? I am doing well. How about you? Awesome, man. Thanks for asking. Hey, my question is regarding Take Two Interactive, which yeah, it's been a real bow wow, I have to admit, but you know what? Maybe it's been a bow wow for too long. At 87, I say, buy me some. Hey, I'm not done. Let's go to Phil in Pennsylvania. Phil! Hey, Jim. Hey, my question was whether or not Aurora Cannabis is a buyer. We're, no, we're sticking with Canopy. I like Bruce Lane when he spoke yesterday, and that, ladies and gentlemen, of the Lightning Round! The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. I've been wearing a tie for 40 years. I don't only know to wear a tie. To everybody under 25, this payphone is this, it's an ancient device. It's located in a booth. You, you put money in a slot and then you speak. You need to watch the stock of Goldman Sachs like a hawk. Actually a red tail hawk, because I think they're good luck. This morning, when this session was looking bleak, I made an executive decision to come out on Squawk on the Street right after the market opened and tell you that the day might turn out to be a lot better than you expected. I was gutsy. But you know what? I had my six reasons for flashing green. Because you know what? They're telling the tale of the tape. Remember last night's show? Remember what I said? I have my six stocks. Sure enough, the averages rebounded dramatically from their lows to the point where you, you have to feel like a real dope if you dumped everything into the teeth of the morning self, which is what I didn't want you to do. See, I made that call, even as I saw the ugly employment numbers like everyone else, even as I recognized the shroud of gloom that we keep importing from overseas. Why? Because of the six key stocks I told you to watch last night. The ones that can tell you the tail of the tape ahead of the tape. The ones that can predict a rally because they're so emblematic of what's happening at this very moment. They're the tells. Let's take them one by one. I told you you needed the transports to make a comeback, which is why I've been looking at FedEx to show me the signs, because it's been the worst acting of them. The stock has been in free fall. All I can say uh, was that this morning I saw the velocity of the decline, and I saw it was in check. As it turns out, FedEx was actually kind of a disappointment on the list because when I told you not to freak out on Squawk, the price of oil was down two bucks. It should have been rallying. It was a dud. Even when oil rallied to down just 60 cents, it kind of did nothing. But you know what? Let's look at this. It, it opened very badly. It opened down at 167. It did manage to close at 171.78 cents. That's encouraging, but it's still down 43 cents for, for the day. Uh, again, weakness in a closely followed group. I still don't see a recession in the cards, though. The second key stock, Workday, started out deep in the hole and then managed to rally almost from the get-go. The action in this one told me that the Cloud Kings, the leaders for much of the year, uh, along with semiconductor stocks, were perhaps getting on a more even keel. That was a huge tell that the Nasdaq might not be kept down, but it was not nearly as positive as Micron, with a stock that rallied and rallied hard right from the beginning of the session on huge volume. This commodity semiconductor company may be the biggest key to this market right now because Micron's been in free fall since long before the averages turned bearish. You could argue that the rally in this stock might be signaling that the brutal tech sell-off may at last be winding down. Heartening. 
Fourth, Facebook started bouncing after a very tough opening. And this is another one that ultimately closed higher today. Potentially a good sign for the bedraggled flat fan contingent, which has been horrible. It'd be godsend for the Nasdaq. Next, Goldman Sachs was strong right from the beginning, and that emboldened me to be more bullish about the rest of the market. This stock has been the dog of the dogs, and you had to be heartened that it finished the day in the black. Well, in the black, the bouncing Goldman tells me that the sellers are starting to exhaust themselves in the financials. Now, I don't want to get too cocky about that group, though, because remember, the House Financial Services Committee is going to start holding hearings next week. And that makes me nervous that Congresswoman Maxine Waters, who's running the show, well, she's no friend of the banks. More like their nemesis. So let's call Goldman's Valley a work in progress. But it sure gave you the right signals in the morning. Bullish signals that told me, don't panic. Not that that's ever a strategy. And perhaps pick and buy. That said, the most bullish thing that happened today was the run in key number six, CVS Health. Aided by some insider buying. CVS, which I've described as the worst big cap stock in the world. Remember how I used it yesterday? I just kind of said that it was a, well, I don't want to do that again because it was too dangerous, a falling knife. See, what I did was I took it. I don't want to do that again when I described CVS because what happened is I almost got hurt when I, oh, there again, I did it, CVS. Now, the world is a right, uh, you know, th- this thing has to right itself because it's got both retail and health insurance. The latter's been pulling the thing down. It's been pulling down the thing hard. The fact that CVS was actually able to rally even for just this, what, from 930 to four. Is that how long it lasts? It's a sign that the health insurers may finally stop bleeding and leading this market lower, along with the cloud kings and the semis. Let's see if it can last for more than one day. Otherwise, as Billy said in that seminal movie, right, The Predator, the HMOs are all going to die. Put those six key stocks together, and now you know how I was able to nail this epic reversal in what should have been a really ugly day. I saw these crucial stocks behaving better than they should have, and I figured, you know what? Maybe it's not so bad out there, so find your six stocks. Your six stocks that can be your searchlights in a tough market. What just sticks with mine? It's the best way to get a feel for what lies ahead. Stick with Kramer. We're proud to celebrate International Women's Day here on Mad Money. Like I said, it's always bull market somewhere. Promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer. See you Monday. What is Decision Tech by Fidelity? It's technology that can help you find a stock based on what's trending or an investing goal. It's real-time insights and information delivered in your own customized view of the market. It's smarter trading technology for smarter trading decisions. And it's only from Fidelity. Open an account today at fidelity.com trading. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC.